Welcome to the Moving Forward podcast. We have Aaron Hubbard back on for part two of our propertarianism discussion. Uh, it was an interesting conversation, but we had a hard, so I had some difficulty staying on topic. So I've asked him to come back on to explore it further. Say hi, Aaron. Hey, uh, how, how's everybody doing? I, I, I was I was misinformed. I thought I was coming on here to accept your concession uh, for the last <laughs> debate. Uh, I've been I've been lured here under false pretenses. This is outrageous. This is out, this is unjust. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're back for round two. Yeah, um, let's start with that actually, because I think that might be one one place where we need to clarify where we are and aren't coming from this. Um, I don't see this as a debate in any way, shape, or form. Do, do sure. you see it that way? No, I mean we talked. I think that we we handled this in the preamble of the first one. Like I, these are all things I'm not sure about. You know, um, it's certainly you know I, w- w- my frustration is um, there's not a whole lot of places on the internet where you can go and get like reasoned, intellectual, in the weeds kind of conversations with people. Like if you want to talk to the younger socialist crowd, it's very hard to make that headway and is you know sometimes when i talk to people like you um it's frustrating in the opposite direction because you really want to like you know uh, hone in on what socialism is and isn't and talk about the historical failures of socialism and um uh, but but like as far as i can tell um i i have no desire to win or lose this debate like if if, if uh you know uh, it turns out there's like sound reasons for property propertarianism um that that wouldn't surprise me um and it's also not a huge threat to my long-term political outlook because you know if you if you go to marxist thought like uh, we were always supposed to kind of like socialism was supposed to be born out of capitalism and evolve from it so like you know any under any good underpinnings of that don't necessarily threaten like my very long-term political plan so i yeah i i'm not here to win or debate i'm just here to like learn and and uh, intellectually spar with somebody. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I, I, I would suggest we don't, don't even think about it as a debate at all. Um, I, I'd like to try to understand better where you're coming from and for have you understand better where I'm coming from. Sure. Look for common ground uh, and definitely not try to win um, against one another. Uh, because I, I think that that's actually the problem with our political environment right now. Mm-hmm. I think that... We have too many people in this country who believe that solving all of the country's problems are not a matter of finding common ground and working with their fellow Americans, but merely a matter of ensuring that their side, which they are dogmatically and religiously certain has all the answers, prevails 100% of the time. So there's no way that you can possibly uh, work with the other side. And that I would argue, and I'd be interested to know if you agree with this. I don't believe it's possible for democracy to function long-term if people are thinking that way. Uh, yeah, no, I think, I think you're, you're correct. Um, I do think we're in a little bit of a unique inflection point where like, I feel like, um, you know, like you recognize that there's a problem with the Republican party. And when you have one party, that's kind of like abandoned, um, you know, principles of forbearance and reciprocity and good governance and science. And you've got another party that's kind of like, you know, just wildly gesturing everything around and still kind of losing elections and stuff. It's it's not healthy for the democracy either. Like, I, I would really love to have some, you know, uh, classical libertarians and, and, and classical, you know, even Reagan era conservatives, Rockefeller type conservatives, um, 
to to pit against. But uh, alas, we're in a two party system and one of the parties is a real problem. So I feel like that's one of the reasons why everything is so high stakes, um, because it's it's it feels like, man, giving ground to like modern Republicans is dangerous. And I know modern Republicans feel the same way about Democrats. So what are you going to do? Yeah, I completely agree about your assessment of the Republican Party right now. So that's a first area of consensus, <laughs> I would say. Um, the, the the question, though, is are the Democrats totally blameless in that? Um, and if they are or aren't separately from that, does, quote, the left, so to speak, have any blame for that? Uh, and I, I think that that might be an interesting an interesting place for us to start tease apart where we might have some disagreement. What are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, no, I, I think that um, the Democrats have certainly a lot of blame to share. I think that the left uh, certainly has blame. Um, for one thing, I big, think the biggest problem on the left is they're too quick to take their ball and go home and they don't get their way. And when you've got like the the left when you've got the the left wing of the party, that does that. Um, and you know, you divide the center up between Republicans and Democrats and you're going to have a a system where the Democrats are kind of like, you know, forced to, to move towards the center to gain those, the the votes they can get. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I also think that that's one of the reasons that the, the left is the way they are is because, um, the Democrats have been, you know, uh, and in, in kind of contrary to my understanding, of Overton window stepping towards the center more and more as the Republicans step more to the right more and more. And, you know, we have kind of like a center left party and a very right wing party. And there's there's no one to really to represent the left. So I understand. But still, if you want to be taken seriously as a voting block, you have to participate in the system. And, you know, I think two party system sucks, but I'm not going to vote third party until we have something like ranked choice voting because it's it's uh, political politically not effective. Uh, how's that sound? Yeah. I mean, I don't entirely agree with your, um, characterization of the U S political spectrum. Um, I almost see it the other way around. Uh, I, until recently I was actually more inclined to kind of go along with the left's narrative on that, that the U S is this weird outlier where, you know, the rest of democracies in the world, have managed to embrace social democracy and the U S is this hyper capitalist far right country. Um, but the more I've thought about that because it's been so much in the news, um, and because the rise of the alt right, um, is really the greatest threat that, uh, poses modern civilization right now. Um, I just spent a lot of time thinking about that and what does differentiate the alt right from the actual right, what would real far right wing policy look like or not look like? And then also, I think it's important to kind of see the forest for the trees and to recognize there's a difference between, you know, the left right debate and, you know, what you might call the libertarian with a small L versus authoritarian debate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think a lot of people are tempted to to equate. Well, they sort of take for granted this parochial American concept of equating the right with kind of authoritarian social policies that don't really necessarily have anything to do with the whole economic left versus economic right debate Mm -hmm. apart from, you know, some weird uncomfortable coalitions that 
happen for historical reasons that don't necessarily have a lot of grounding in the actual underlying philosophies. You, you see where I'm going with that? Yeah, there's something uh, that I've read a couple of years back that I thought about a lot that says in the last time that the parties realigned, which of course was, I don't know if you agree with this, but during the the pursuit of the Southern strategy where the, you had the Dixiecrats flip to Republicans, is that, um, you know, like the Republicans had a particular thing that they did um, and the Democrats had a particular thing that they did. And one of the things that Democrats were strong at was with labor and kind of unions. And and uh, that's, that's kind of more of like a, a left institution. And during the realignment, um, that part of the party kind of got lost um, that there. And, 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 you know, that, that um, I think there's a lot of evidence that there's been a steady erosion of, of labor and or an organized labor and union rights since that realignment took and take took place. So it's like. I feel like modern Democrats are very socially progressive, um, but they're very economically um, at best center. And there's very little advocacy for like, you know, labor and and and, uh, you know, traditional kind of like leftist issues like that, whereas Republicans obviously are socially conservative and fiscally conservative. So um, that's my kind of like theory of, of what happened that there was like a, the parties kind of realigned and the polarities flipped and the union kind of thing has gotten let, got left out in the cold. Um, so, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, and there's also, that's called, that's also bound up in like the Catholics, which were a very, uh, reliable, um, leftist economic voting block for Democrats kind of got. Um, wedged with the abortion issue. I think that's one of the things maybe that, that, that was, um, you know, the rise of religious right and all that kind of stuff that kind of, that kind of helped wedge that off. But that's, that's my understanding. Yeah. I, I think that what you're describing is broadly speaking true, but I think that that could be true without it. Therefore following that the U S is this, isn't this like far right space. I think you're correct that we have, uh, well, really, it it, it kind of all happened as the fall of the Soviet Union, right? And, and, you know, communism was failing um, all over the world and still hasn't really worked. Um, Mm -hmm. The countries that where socialists thought have been successful are all places where they've managed to thread the needle between socialist and liberal goals and to preserve the liberal part of that equation. Mm-hmm. And so I would argue whenever the liberal part of the equation has been has been removed, um, it's had disastrous effects. And so I, I think it was understandable that not just in the U.S., but you know, there was a there was a similar movement with Margaret Thatcher and so forth uh, mm-hmm. in, in the U.K. And, and elsewhere in the world where people said, oh, boy, you know, that that lefty thing didn't work out so well in the places that tried it. So there was a bit of a reaction against it. Yeah, that's I don't understandable. think that the reaction went as far or is as deep as you necessarily want to characterize it as do you, or maybe I'm mishearing you. I mean, it's, I don't know. We'd have to go into particulars, but uh, I do think it's telling that, you know, we are one of the only countries that doesn't have any kind of socialized, um, you know, med, med, medical system. Uh, if I look at, um, you know, like, like things that I've talked about advocating for, like, you know, baby steps towards, um, a more, Democratic workplace, things like co-ops are much more established in Europe um, than they are here. In fact, it's hard to find a lawyer that knows how to form a co-op. It's hard to find a bank that's willing to, to loan money for a co-op startup. Um, I, I do think like in, you know, I, I 
as far as the other stuff, um, uh, I, I don't know. We'd have to go into exact economic policy because I honestly, I, I, you know, as far as like taxes and things, because like, I, I understand that like our corporate and individual taxes are lower than any other part of the world, which I associate with, um, you know, kind of uh, right leaning economics. Um, but, you know, like when you said a banding of liberal values, I mean, that's why I want to talk to property, because like if you're talking about like um, liberalism in terms of, um, you know, enlightenment values uh, and understanding of human rights um, and things like that, I don't want to abandon those at all. Uh, the only one that I'm like I said, the only ones I'm not really sure of are the the you know unlimited kind of property and economic rights that it seems like we advocate for and what has resulted in. Um, a huge amount of wealth uh, disparity um, and inequality and the rise of these billion, the, the billionaire class, which uh, is a big concern for me. I mean, yeah. So, but I, you know, I, I, I I'm not really dogmatic about it. I, I got in a debate with this guy named Bastiat and he's, he, uh, you know, the, like what a lot of the, one of the Nordic countries that you hold up as like at this shining symbol of uh, social democracy has also one of the highest concentrations of billionaires per capita. So there's not a tightly bound, like if you have X amount of billionaires, it's robbing your society blind and no one can have a, 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 um, a, a happy economic outlook or, or, or you know, uh, happiness in society. Um, but I do think they're, they're, they are related. I, do, you, do you disagree that America is one of the most right-leaning economic uh, countries in the world? I mean, as far as like, I don't want to... <laughs> Yeah, I want to compare to like banana republics and like war, you know, like obscure warlord things and stuff like that. But like amongst developed countries, do you think that we, you know, you know we're we're like right in the middle of the pack or a little to the right or what, what's your impression? Uh, I would say among liberal democracies, which you know, de- developed countries tend to be to some extent or another. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's not an on off switch. There's different degrees of democracy. And that is one sure. reason that people are failing to recognize what a threat um, the rise of authoritarianism, not just in the U- US, but also in Western Europe, etc., cetera, uh, mm-hmm. is because, you know, you can be moving away from it and becoming less democratic and, and uh, you can corrode institutions. And then, and then it, that happens gradually, but Sometimes it's like a, a frog in boiling water. You don't notice it until it's too late. And then right. it seems really swift. But in reality, people have been writing books warning about this for some time now. Sure. All right. So to start with your first question about about the U.S., uh, yes, I, I would agree that among liberal democracies, we are more uh, right wing than others. Um, but the, I would recommend that we put that in perspective by not not looking at the rest of the world solely. I mean, that's important. I, I, I think that's a valid point, right? But if you think, as I do, that most people tend toward left-wing economic ideas, whether they realize it or not, and that most Republican voters, when they're not being distracted by wedge issues, actually tend toward left-wing economics as well, then that that reaction against the far left that that happened after the fall of the Soviet Union and and uh, some similar problems in, in other countries, um, that was a nice change from what is otherwise a very strong popular swing to to the left that's happening in liberal democracies everywhere. And so I, my my concern is that. 
uh, human nature could be working against itself and that pe- human selfishness might be manifesting itself in a, in a, in a way that's going to be harmful in the long term. So I, I agree that the U S is right relative to other liberal democracies, but mm-hmm. I don't think that it's all that right wing. And I think a useful way of looking at that would be to ask yourself, like what would a real far right country actually look like? You know, the banana republics that we are worried about becoming, um, they don't tend to be super far right either. What they actually end up being is more like a kleptocracy than right, any kind of sure. free, right. And so that's not something I, that I mean, an actual right wing person wants. Maybe that's something because like, I guess I associate like the the like anarcho capitalist wet dream of like the Robert Barron age where you actually had, you know, moneyed business interests completely like hand in glove with politics politics you had you know uh people that owned large petroleum interests and railroad interests and stuff literally you know kind of running big parts of our country um for their for the to maximize the kind of their own gain um and you know tons of political corruption so like I, it's it's interesting because i feel like i'm in a situation where I'm going to say, like, if, if I describe something as more right wing, you're eventually going to whip around and say, well, that's not that's not right wing. That's a kleptocracy in very much the same way that, like, you know, if you get too far left on economic, you'd say, you know, that's that's no longer capitalism. That's that's pure social, you know, towards the, the, the ideal, I guess, of pure socialism. Um, but like, I, I guess, like, yeah, I, and I feel like that we are much closer to that robber baron era in the United States um, than we are like the, you know, uh, the new deal kind of like height of, 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 I, I guess that would that be the high watermark of leftism in America? Like, like from there, like from, I, I feel like from, from the, 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 the new deal to like somewhere in the sixties is where the high watermark crested and we've kind of, the water's been receding back towards Robert Barron capitalism. Uh, do you, do you disagree with that historical analysis or do you have problems with my, um, labeling the Robert Barron kind of phase cut the country went through as, as like uh, a right economic wet dream or no? Yeah, teasing all of this apart is a little bit tricky. Um, the short answer is, yeah, I don't see. Well, I guess it kind of depends on what you specifically mean by robber barons. But um, how? Let's let's come at it this way. Um, I, I would I would describe real, and I, I guess I would just ask if you would agree with this. But to me, like real right wing policy, like actual far right wing policy, would indeed be something that people, some people, could argue is quite um, heartless, um, but it wouldn't be kleptocracy. It would be something like uh, you'd have no social security, so people who didn't save for their retirement would would just die on the streets as used to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Or you don't have any Medicare, so people who can't afford health care um, don't get it, right? That's also mm-hmm. used to happen. Uh, you would not have welfare, so people who you know are in poverty – their children would just be starving. Um, there would not be food stamps, right? You wouldn't have public schools. So if you couldn't afford to get your your kid an education, they were going to be illiterate as also used to happen. Um, and so I think part of the problem that I have with a lot of the movements that identify as left-wing or progressive today mm-hmm. is that they seem very reluctant to admit that there has been any progress. And I think that that's actually extremely counterproductive because 
if anything, you'd think it would be to their benefit to say, look at all the progress that we have achieved as a society. Let's do more of it. But instead, they want to shit all over it and characterize us as this far right, you know, uh, totally heartless society that we're just not. Yeah, I mean, uh, th- that's fair to a point. But on the other hand, like, I th- feel like that, especially the younger people, you know, the millennials and the Zoomers, um, they're just not seeing that society because it's just really hard. If you look at statistics, you know, like, what is it to, for like, this is the most number of people under 30 living with their parents since like the Great Depression era. Like a lot of that, like progress younger, like, yes, I as a Gen Xer kind of see it. And as boomers obviously see it and, but like, um, it, it doesn't, I don't feel like a lot of this progress is accessible to people. Um, you know, if you can't get medical treatment, if you have trouble affording, uh, a, a house in the area that you grew up in and your parents grew up in, um, those, uh, if you feel like that, uh, you know, you have some legitimate grievances with re- regard to how policing is done and, and how laws are enforced, yet it feels like these things have fallen on deaf ears for, you know, going on a, a decade. Like it, it's, I understand why they shit on the idea because it's just, it seems ridiculous to them. Like the things that the American dream of going to college and getting a house and settling down and having your kids and, and your kids have a better life than you. That is vanishing. That is disappearing as we speak. And I think it is because, you know, like go back to Robert Barron's, like, I don't, I don't know why. I feel like that's a pretty well-defined term and era and like there's names attached to it like Carnegie and and Hearst and Rockefeller and Vanderbilt and and uh, you know JP Morgan etc but like the idea that like what's good for business is good for the country so the government should you know always prop up business and that will all trickle down to the people Part of the Reagan and Thatcher revolution was to bring that stuff back. And it has kind of chipped away to the point that these younger generations just aren't seeing the progress that I agree. Like, you know, um, I do think leftists go like a little bit hard on America. Um, But on the other hand, like, damn, I don't feel like there's ever I don't ever have a problem. People want to hold it, you know, like like make America live up more to its better ideals. Um, and live up to its, its better self. Because at any point in time, you could always say, well, it's better than, you know, uh, if you just want to take a look at race, like, you know, the 60s, it was fair to say, in the 50s and 60s, it was fair to say, like, look how much progress we made. You know, we eliminated slavery and we eliminated segregation and, you know, but there's still work to be done. Um, so I, I don't know. It's like, what is the utility of sitting and, and patting ourselves on the back? Is it just kind of like to help people not be so depressed or to feel better about themselves? Or oh, I well, actually have a really direct answer for that. Cool. <laughs> it's that I think that when people take what's good about society for granted, that dramatically increases the odds that they are going to do something radical and careless um, that could have extremely negative side effects. And, and if people believe as a lot of people seem to think, or seem to, they say they believe it anyway, that for example, we're already a banana Republic and our, our democracy doesn't work and only the rich people get their way. And there's no point in voting. And, 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 you know, I mean, the, the, the far left seems at least willing to let Donald Trump get reelected if yeah, not no, it's outright help him do it. Right. And so I, mm-hmm. I think that I think if all of their negativity and, and their, their uh, 
just totally taking the fruits of modern civilization for granted results in them doing things that have negative outcomes in real life, then their good intentions are worth shit. Mm hmm. Uh, but on the other hand, I think that like we can throw in a couple bones too, you know, like uh, uh, there there is some concrete action. I think that uh, and then, again, it's like if you want people to be less radicalized, take care of them. You know, like I, I do think there are some things that we absolutely have to get done in America and there's some things we have to get fixed or. I mean, I can, I have this debate all the time with like the reasonable moderates in my audience and stuff. Like you can, you can decry the left and the bullshit they're up to and their rejection of electoralism and all that kind of stuff uh, all you want. But the end, things are going to get more and more radical and more and more divided until people get relief, until people start seeing hope, until people reinvest into the system. Um, because like if if their opinion is like the system doesn't do shit for me, like why do they care about supporting it? And, you know, they uh, you know, how, how, how much, how much worse can it be? Like if you're living in like a really shitty economic, if you're living in like Appalachian, uh, uh, uh you know, West Virginia and like, uh, the Eastern Ohio and some of these like really economic deprived areas. If you look, you're, if you're living in like really blighted urban areas to fuck the system, you know, like wh why would you care about investing it? And that's, I think that's a real problem for Democrats too, because, it's a tragic fact that like a lot of these are, you know, like a lot of these places are solidly democratic liberal bastions and yet they can't get a lot. They can't get some, they can't get some of these basic stuff done. And it's eventually going to turn, you know, I don't know what's going to re lead to a realignment of the parties or, you know what, but like uh, how you, you can't de-radicalize people by just saying like, Hey, I know it's bad. Hey buddy, I know you're, you're homeless. You don't have health care. But you know what? You're actually living in like the best time of the world for humans. Like they're just not going to care. Yeah, I, I, I largely see your point. Um, I, I think that you're correct that we the you know, I guess one argument for social liberal policy uh, has been historically that it is necessary to de-radicalize people. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering if there are points of diminishing returns on that. Mm -hmm. um, like, if, first of all, I think we actually already are living through a major realignment of the parties. I think that the Democratic establishment has proven itself far more resilient than the, the Republican establishment. But then I wouldn't have thought the Republican establishment would bend over for fascism as fast as it did either. either. Um, but part, part of that realignment is the fact that the the, I guess I would say like the, the GOP used to be such that elite, uh, most influential, powerful members of the party were much more like what you and I would both recognize as economically right wing. Um, but they also knew that their own base didn't really believe, doesn't really believe in those ideas. I, they, I think, I'm sure you'd probably agree with this. I mean, the whole point of the Southern strategy was to cynically get a bunch of oh, economically yeah. left-leaning people to vote for the party because of, you know, their racism and their sexism and their opposition to abortion and same-sex marriage and, sure. and, and uh, desegregation and all of that, right? And so I think that the, the realignment that's happened within the GOP is not something that Trump did so much as something he took advantage of. It was already mm -hmm. happening, and all that it took is for one famous idiot to come along and say, hey, I'll actually give you guys this toxic mix of kind of a, a more 
ignorant version of lefty politics and, you know, theocracy. Mm hmm. Yeah, that seems like I, I, I agree with that. It's like uh, it was a very cynical. Um, they they don't really I mean, they don't get much movement on the things that's important to their constituents. Um, and yeah, no, I, I agree with that political ass assessment. Sure. And I think honestly, though, that's the thing I'm worried about. Like you say, the Democrat, the Democratic establishment is more resilient. We we're just now. Like you can compare this this leftist socialist kind of like agitation to like the Tea Party movement, uh, you know, a decade and a half ago. And, you know, I feel like we're five years into that, just like five years into Tea Party experiment. You might say, eh, you know what? Uh, boy, uh, it seems like uh, 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 shit. I've forgotten all the <laughs> all, all, all the all the the people used to run the House and the Senate, um, the conservatives. You, you would say, like, boy, they're really you know, resilient in the face of this Tea Party stuff, but then a couple election cycles and they're all gone. You yeah, know? although I don't know. I Paul mean, like, Ryan, guys like Yeah, Paul Ryan, yeah. But maybe maybe we have a different take on on the Tea Party, right? Because the tea, the tea Party was is a weird phenomenon because it was a combination of people who were just really racist sure. right? and just really didn't like that there was mm -hmm. a black president, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that that aspect of it very much feeds into the Trumpism that has since taken over the party. Mm -hmm. But another big part of it was, you know, we want, we, we want lower taxes and balanced budgets. Um, and mm -hmm. that's not at all the direction that the party is going right now. No, 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 no. So they're getting the rate they, they, that goes to your point that like, it's still, and I think that's the problem with the tea parties. They got co-opted by, uh, a bunch of grifters and idiots and you know it's 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 running the the party into the ground and i see the exact same kind of grifting and idiocy on the real far left um especially when you talk, talk i mean the, the the one thing is is like um there aren't any you can't point to anyone on the political landscape and see anyone with any political power but there's a lot of people with the rhetorical power especially amongst the youth especially on platforms like youtube and twitch um that that are gaining this and like i guess my goal um the what i try to do on three right turns is to like people that are still clinging to this both sides baloney nudge them off the fence and then also engage the retro reactors so they don't go shooting to the left it's like uh, i'm trying to get them to safely enter the atmosphere of of respectable leftist politics and not skip off into the atmosphere into far right or burn up in the atmosphere um you know, and, and going into anti-democracy, anti-electoralism, shit like that. Yeah, exactly. And, and tease, we have to tease apart the anti-democracy, anti-electoralism and so forth from the left right thing as well. So I, I guess that's that we, we, it sounds like we're kind of coming to an agreement about the fact that whatever the Republican Party is right now, it's certainly radical. It's certainly illiberal. It's certainly anti-democratic. Um but I don't think it's far right or, or would you not go that far yet? No, I think it is. I mean, like I said, it's I mean, maybe we want to call it a kleptocracy or a theocracy, like a combination klepto theocracy. But like it's it's not left. Um, and I guess that's the weird like when we start, like I felt like in our other conversation, we got really bogged down. You had some like perhaps novel ways to define you know, and you're, you're coining terms like the alt left that I just didn't fundamentally didn't, didn't agree with. Um, uh, well, I mean, I guess, I guess like maybe we can make some progress on this though, because okay. like, would you agree that there's a difference between say Donald Trump and a Donald Trump voter? Oh, of course. Sure. Right. Okay. So would you also agree that 
I mean, at least it's theoretically possible that somebody could be motivated by what is, um, broadly speaking, a left-wing economic concern um, and vote for Donald Trump. Uh, oh, man. You know, I'm the, talking about like the Dixiecrats here, right? So like partially, just, it's, if, it's not just a matter of them being manipulated and distracted by wedge issues mm-hmm. because Trump is also pandering to their left-wing economics. I mean, he, he promised not to cut social security. Um, he basically promised universal health care, but without, <laughs> but without, well, that, I mean, that's okay. the thing he dangles no, it, but he doesn't deliver. Is that what you're I, trying to say? I think like, that, like, like these... well, but like on the on like free trade, he's delivering. Like he's he's doing an incredibly stupid unilateral trade war with the entire world, which is by no stretch of the imagination even center right. Yeah, I mean, but like that. Okay, so that's I remember this now towards the end of the debate. Like I I feel like that um, we're talking about populism, which can be left or right wing, and populism is essentially whatever the people's problem is you tell them what they want to hear you invent a threat that's that you know that's that's actually keeping them from getting that thing and then you ride that to political power and success right but like the actual alleviate- strategy for manipulating people but i guess what i'm saying is like yeah, yeah. If, like for example like if if the free trade thing seems like too specific an example and and not a broad enough one for you um even just consider the reason that Trump and his supporters say they oppose immigration, right? They don't mm-hmm. just oppose illegal immigration, right? All of it, yeah. Yeah, they oppose legal immigration. And the grounds mm-hmm. for it is that they don't want the plebs to have to compete with people from other countries. It's the yeah, same pretty- exact reason they oppose free trade. So yeah. I just, I would, I would, I wouldn't, I mean, I, th- I see, I guess I could see your point. I think it's very valid that kleptocracy, where business owns the government, uh-huh. is distinct from communism where the government owns business right uh-huh. right but from the perspective of somebody who actually believes in the separation of the powers which is an essential part of small government um and who believes in actual capitalism where the government is supposed to be separated from business mm-hmm. they're you know those two things have more in common with each other than not yeah, no, I guess that's like the populism's kind of got two polarities right like if the if the kleptocracy was going towards the people <laughs> then I guess it would be left wing if the kleptocracy is going towards corporations and wealthy individuals. Then you know I, I guess it would be that'd be more right wing. I don't know what Can else I try you'd to call persuade it. you that I think it is going toward the people. Sure, I would like to see that. <laughs> well, like I said, I mean, I, I just think it's important to put things into the perspective of of what is a is theoretically actually right wing versus uh, far right, certainly versus what we have. So you talked about how there are these liberal areas like, uh, um, cities that Mm -hmm. have all these economic problems. I don't actually see that as such a big problem for liberalism per se, because I don't see liberalism as inherently left wing or collectivist. I see liberalism as a philosophy as relatively right wing and individualist. Mm -hmm. I think, I think that, liberal cities are experiencing a renaissance and that the most wealthy and successful parts of the country are liberal cities. Mm -hmm. I see countries, I see red states in the middle of the country 
as the real drain on the economy where they're taking sometimes two, three times as much in federal benefits as they contribute in federal taxes. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, along here comes Trump's populist, collectivist, working class labor reaction against free trade capitalism. And what do they do? They raise taxes on California and New York by doing away with the state tax deduction. And mm -hmm. all of that money is being spent. It's being redistributed from wealthy liberal blue states to these welfare queens in the, the red flyover states. But they're also like cutting taxes across the board. They're cutting social programs. Like who is actually getting like who is improved where whose lives are being improved by this expenditure? I feel like every, you know, like I said, this is where it's like the, the labels left, right. Um, I, 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 I honestly don't know where they break down, but well, like, I actually agree with that. I, I, I think that we, I think that ultimately we have to move past them. If only because it we you know the fact that we have to spend so much time explaining this is what I mean by left wing and this right, is what I mean right. by right wing kind of speaks to the fact that there's very limited utility to the terms. Right, and I think you also there's like I believe that there's this um, this thing called conservatism, right? It's not it's not really conservative. And I, I have you heard this quote before? I forget who said it, but like conservatism has just one guiding principle or two guiding principles, I guess that, that, no, I guess it's one. The law exists to protect, but not bind an elite class. And it serves to bind, but not protect an underclass. And if you look at that, like, I think it's very easy to see where that feels like it's the case where, you know, you can live in gated uh, communities where, uh, you know, your son or daughter get drive drunk and get pulled over with a bag of weed and some Coke and maybe some Molly. And it's dealt like with a family matter and all oh, this is an upstanding fit. Whereas the same person born to like uh, a lower socioeconomic status person or a minority, they're going to get the book thrown at them. Right. And they're not going to have a lawyer to make it all go away. Um, and I think that's like, if we want to go away the left and right, just talk about things in terms of like conservatism, like the difference between Islam and, and is and is Islamist, right? It's a difference between a conservative and a conservatism. Um, I, I think that's a useful principle because I think all that stuff fits in, uh, into what you're talking about. Like that, like, you know, like the law more and more is, is seems to consolidate and protect and enshrine the powerful and, you know, they, they then they engage in rent seeking behavior and they start dodging taxes and they do all the Panama paper stuff. Um, and, you know, it's like you're saying that this money getting funneled to the red state welfare queens. Like, yeah, I guess. But like, it's certainly not getting to the people. Um, I mean, isn't it though? I mean, so, OK, so how do I put this? Um, how much worse, really, really, how much worse do you think those red states would be? if we were to take away all those problems tomorrow, right? So like, let's say sometimes when I'm really annoyed at Trump voters, I mm -hmm. just think, gosh, you know, the Democrats ought to just call their bluff and vote with the Republicans in Congress to completely end welfare and end food stamps and end social security and end Medicare. Um, there's going to be a lot of poor people in every state that suffer under that. But I think that those flyover states in the middle of the country would essentially turn into third world dystopian nightmares overnight because that's basically all they have going for them is all this money that's coming from the blue states. Yeah, there especially are a handful of really rich people there. But I mean, their societies are much more like feudalism than 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 capitalism. They're not they're not really productive states. Yeah, especially since you would have the more wealthy blue states like California 
California and Washington and New York, they would quickly mass they would quickly set up parallel institutions to the federal Medicare and Medicaid and welfare program. And they their their poor people would be fine and the like you said the red it'd be it would be it it would be yeah, in fact not only would they be like fine they'd Mississippi, probably be better Alabama, off, be better off be, because California and New York would have more money to spend right. on their own people sure yeah right yeah. okay so I, I mean I'm just saying like how much worse would it be I I, I don't I, so you know I, I guess this gets to the point of what I was saying about the a point of diminishing returns on the whole de-radicalize people by being generous toward them thing mm-hmm. right because if that was really true then why are Trump voters in the middle of the country who are already the beneficiaries of all of this liberal generosity turning against liberalism? I mean, they're the dog that's biting the hand that feeds them. No, I mean, I, I, I get your point. Um, I guess I would say that, like, unfortunately, the real reality is Republicans are just much more effective at wielding power to get the results they want. Like they said, I mean, we talked about this is the first time you and I talked. We talked about, you know, how the Overton window came to be Joe Overton's work against the public school systems of Michigan and how that's kind of spread across, you know, his dream of destroying public education is spread across the whole country. And the places it's really taken hold are in these red states. So you have a population that's more and more ignorant of history. I mean, look at this shit that, that Trump's trying to pull. We will only teach American exceptionalism and only things that make people feel good and never, you know, it's like, it's, it's, you know, it's so oh God, I, yeah, I'm, I'm about to work myself into an aneurysm, but like, they're just much more effective at wielding power. I mean, look at this uh, Supreme court stuff that's going on right now. Look at how they have, um, Jerry th- th- took advantage of the last census to gerrymander the shit out of the country to where they have um, they they have uh, disproportionate political power in so many state uh, you know let, let alone the federal governments um, with, with all the kind of inequalities between the Senate and the House versus the Electoral College. You know they they got far more share. They got way more shares of the governorships and state capitals than they should have if we just really lived in a straight democracy. Yeah, um, no, I, I agree with that. Obviously, Jerry they're just there's better wielding power, um, no, and that's Jer- that's why the I think I mean, the. I guess I'm just wondering if you're letting regular voters off the hook too much. I mean, I guess you could say like, you know, if 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 you were to have actually have more decentralization and more states rights and and a less overreaching federal government then you would have you know these these different little mini democracies and people would be able to look at the outcomes you know cuz one, one one thing a lot of trump voters do is they say ah look at all the homelessness and you know los angeles don't you know those liberal those liberal liberal places are are terrible like me so mm-hmm. wait a second all of a sudden you care about like what do you want us to do hike taxes and and put a bunch of people you know like um give everybody free housing is and, you know so but i think that part of the reason that it's all so messy is because liberals have been making the mistake of subsidizing their enemies. I mean, have you considered the possibility that some people are irredeemable and deplorable and that maybe they just aren't worthy of our charity? And if we are going to give them our money and let them use it to destroy us, maybe that's a mistake. Uh, yeah, but like that's that's um, I don't like writing off any people because you have things called progeny. And every time you have a new person born, you have the opportunity to, you know, and, and prove like there are some people that are that are full on gone, you know, 
Uh, they didn't have the proper education. They get exposed to certain pat. They didn't get exposed to, to pretend, you know, uh, love and t- uh, secure attachment as children. Like, yeah, you know, it's, it's probably there that's goofed up. But I think one of the key things of uh, leftism is like, yes, but we always have to have a net to catch people so that we don't perpetuate that in the future generations or else you're going to have a, a permanent underclass. And, you know, like it's the, I mean, they'll, they'll eventually eat you alive. But you like, know, because like, they're going to eat us alive anyway. You see what I'm saying? Like, I mean, yeah, well, I just, I'm gonna, this is obviously a way oversimplified um, just for the sake of making a point. So I'm not suggesting that this is an exact um, exactly what the actual case is. But just mm-hmm. theoretically, let's say that there's two possible outcomes. One outcome is that we keep trying to be charitable toward all of these people, and then they take advantage of that charity and the power and, and that we give them and destroy civilization and turn us into a hellscape. And the other outcome is we cut them off, we let them die of their own irrelevance, and what then that- democracy and human rights continue. What does that like, look which like, would you cutting people off uh, and letting them die? I mean, what does that look like on a, in, a, in, a, in, a fe- in a federal United States system? Um, well, it would look like exactly what you just said, right? You basically – okay, so I, I think of it like this. You know, maybe maybe there's an, an ethical disagreement that we have about – you know, like, for example, I see a huge difference between choosing not to be charitable towards somebody and actively harming somebody. Right. Uh-huh. I'm not suggesting that we go in and kill people. But what I am saying is maybe let people face the consequences of their own bad choices, a kind of a tough love approach. Right. So, like, if imagine the federal government is a parent. Right. Uh-huh. And they have a couple kids and one of their kids is really hardworking and is actually making all the money, not just hardworking, but like successful, they're making all the money. And then the other kid is, you know, refused to work and just spends whatever money he gets on drugs and constantly is having to get bailed out by either the parents or their brother or some combination thereof. At some point, the family needs a little tough love and say, hey, you need to like experience the outcome of your bad decisions. So maybe just let red states experience the actual outcome of what they do, right? So that they can learn from their mistakes. Because as long as they can continue to get bailed out by their sibling and their parent, they're never going to learn. And then they're going to believe an idiot like Trump who comes along and tells them that it's, oh, it's actually not your fault at all. Like you don't have any responsibility. You don't have anything to learn. I, I still don't. I guess I still not seeing how that actually looks like in practice because it seems like if you, if you, if uh, like a, setting aside the you know ethical and moral dilemmas of just like you know letting people you know off to their own devices, um, I just like if I feel like what'll happen is uh, as living incre- as living standards decrease, uh, the leadership in those states will continue to say. Look at what the liberals are doing. They're taking all their money, your money, and they're de- they'll just lie. That's what they're doing now. They'll just lie, and uh, you know it's like uh, you, you have so a point about like anyway, then why you know what I mean? Like then why continue to give these people things that they're taking for granted? Like because I, like I do you, I just do you don't want see what's to, so do, immoral about like just letting people have what they want? That's what they're voting for. Just let them have it. I mean, yeah, I feel like you're advocating for the balkanization of the United States. And like, yeah, I have some of my more liberal leftist friends like all the time, like, hey, you know what? Let's just take California. 
uh, Oregon and Washington and let's just secede. Let's have a, you know, Pacific Northwest greater economic cooperative zone uh, cut everybody. And like, I don't know. It seems like humans progress when we, uh, you know, like was the European Union progress for Europe? I would argue. Yes. Was the United Nations are, uh, um, good for the world. I'd argue. Yes. Is the, the growing pan-African, uh, cooperation and, and, uh, you know, you know, like joint, you know, federalism kind of project that's going on right now. Good. I'd say suggest all that's good. So like splitting America off and into smaller and smaller parts and like just cutting the dysfunction off of it. I, I feel like, you know, that's how you end up with a, a real, a real, a real problem. Um, yeah, I know. I, I actually don't disagree with that. Um, and I'm not even necessarily advocating for that. Because like, what are you going to do? Sh- you're going to shoot Alabama- Alabamans at the border like like they want to shoot Mexicans? <laughs> yeah, that's the, ir- because- that's the irony, right? We'd have to build a wall <laughs> to keep those people out. Right. I mean, I just like I feel like the problem is you just got to. And, and that's this is I think about this all the time, like with the rules of the United States. How? Because like, yeah, like if we want to fantasize and we're gonna get real larpy, like shit. Yeah, we just ought to invade him, take him over, may, you know, impose a some kind of mark. Because like I, I do believe that a lot of problems with the country, the parts of the country we're talking about, are failures of reconstruction. This like like our racial and our economic problems are all tied into essentially the North kind of got bored of rebuilding the South, and it was hard. And it was growing to be unpopular because of kind of growing, you know, the, the world is kind of engaging in this growing kind of like scientific racism stuff. And they just abandoned it. And, you know, we destroyed half of the country and it never was properly rebuilt. And you can trace a lot of these economic issues, systemic issues back to those days. And it just seems it seems kind of unfair uh, to do that. Like if we had gone in there in World War II and just fucked up Japan and fucked up Germany like we did and then not have the Marshall Plan, we probably already had fought in World War III. So like if we completely cut these people off, I think you'll you'll have some kind of like long-term civil unrest and insurrection because yeah, no, they got I, a lot of people <laughs> and a lot of guns, man. No, I, I, so Aaron, like I, com- I completely agree with you, right? I'm, the, the, okay. problem, the problem is... What, as practical as that argument is, and what you just articulated, by the way, is the reason by somebody who is more right-leaning like myself would nevertheless still support social democratic policy. From my perspective, it is a necessary evil because there are a lot of people who just can't be trusted to provide for themselves and who are going to cause a lot of problems for everybody else if we don't give them a chunk of our things to keep them happy, right? It's like mm-hmm. it's alms for the poor so that they don't they don't, you know, come at us with with pitchforks. That yeah. is the argument for it. The problem is we've been doing that. We've been doing that for a really 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 long time and it's not doing any good. That the the people who are the people who are as a matter of statistical fact taking more of the generosity and contributing less of the wealth are the ones who are nevertheless radicalized and trying to blow up civilization as we speak what the hell do we do about it like if not Isn't i mean it? i'm not i'm not necessarily advocating that I, I i i would certainly used to be much more generous toward these people before you know they decided to be nazis but at mm-hmm. this point like do you really blame me for resenting the fact that the government takes money from me and gives it to a goddamn nazi 
Uh, I mean, obviously, no. I mean, I, I, I don't like that either. But like, I'm, you know, I do advocate. I do think that we have for too long treated politics as something that is not polite to talk about the dinner table, and is not the, you know, polite. I, to, I agree with that a hundred percent. And and I think that like part of this is just like, and I'm I'm doing it now. Like I, you know, I'm 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 really going to war with my friends and family over some of this stuff, and and holding them accountable, and not letting them. And it's worked. Um, you know, especially in my immediate family. Like I feel like I've really successfully de-radicalized my dad and my sister because they were heading to some really dark places four years ago. Um, and I think that, uh, I, I just think, I just, I think that giving up when we're so close, like we got to, like, we are so close to having something like some kind of effective universal healthcare that will bring us to par, uh, a lot of, of, with a lot of European States. And that will, that's such a huge, like, once that gets in place, it's going to be a game changer as far as like, you know, people's immediate standards of condition. And like the homeless problem in this country, as I've been persuaded, is it, it, it very solvable. So like if you could point to a country where no one was dying because of lack of health care and everyone had a roof over their heads, you know, they can rabble rouse. I mean, I just think they'll, they'll, they'll be less ra- rabble to rouse. Like if, if, if you don't have these godforsaken trailer park shitholes. And these godforsaken, you know, uh, 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 you know, pre uh, gentrified, gentrified like lead paint and lead pipes and uh, all the problems we know that's going to cause in future generations. If you eliminate those things, it's going to de-radicalize people as a matter of course. And you, 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 you take back some of this anti-union stuff and anti-labor and you get people organized. Like, I, I just feel like that's a better way forward and it's actually going to lead to things being fixed rather than just be like you know what fuck it like just let it all fall down let them take care of themselves because they just won't they just won't yeah i i so then i guess i just put it back on you then though because i i understand all of your your points um Mm -hmm. but what if we're what if these people who we are subsidizing are taking it for granted and are going to destroy civilization anyway. I mean, if, if, if their very existence is an existential threat to human liberty, um, then at a bare minimum, I would argue we at least ought to stop subsidizing their lives. Yeah. I mean, if you could persuade me that that would actually lead to a better outcome, I guess you, you, you'd have me, but I think that, um, and you I'm know. not I'm not persuaded myself. I'm not necessarily saying it would. But I think that like as as uh, things get worse and worse and worse, we have to start asking ourselves those questions. And if we're not going to try that, then what do we try? Also, I mean, by, also, by the way, maybe 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 they actually would learn from their mistakes. You know, maybe if we yeah, said maybe if I, we the, said maybe if we said, hey, you guys, you try it your way. We'll try it our way. And then let's compare outcomes in 10 years. Maybe they would learn from it. Who knows? The laboratory of democracy. Uh, do you believe idea. that do you believe that there are individual solutions to systemic problems? Because like I, I the, the thing I kind of bother me about your um, analogy to like giving tough love uh, to an individual family member is a lot of times I think I think that's where we get in a lot of problems in society. You know, we uh, the Tea Party came to prominence by saying that the, you should run the country the same way you run the household. You should balance the checkbook. That's crazy fucking idea. You should never run a country like you do an individual household. Um, that's a surefire way to go into rapid fire stagflation, right? Um, and I feel like that, that your analogy has the same problem where you're treating 
um, a systemic problem like it's an individual one and you're acting like these groups of people are going to individually learn their lesson when the system itself is the thing that's that's um, letting them down. And when I argue we're so close, brother, we're so close, a couple of elections bounce our way, we'll have something like UBI. Um, which is a form of market socialism. We will have something like national health care and we can get like the homelessness problem solved. Like we largely, you know, do you remember when it was like a big deal that like so many veterans were on the street um, that, 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 that was like solved um, in, in the last few years, like people really paid attention to it. And that was like one fifth of the homelessness problem. It was, it was a minor outlay of budget compared to like the problem of homelessness together. We can solve these problems. And if we do in 10 or 15 years, I think a lot of the stuff that you're worried about, this radicalization and stuff will, will go away. Whereas if we just cut them off and abandon them, uh, that resentment is going to really boil over. I mean, we're really, de- we're really, Oof, we're really riding a, a razor's edge about resentment boiling over right now. And I just well, think that of, uh, you said it yourself, right? That's mm-hmm. my concern, right? Cause it would be one thing if that, per, if that was working, right? If the, all of the generosity that we already have was actually working, if people were grateful for it instead of ungrateful, um, then you'd have a point, but they're not right. We, we are dealing with, and by the way, I agree with you. I obviously you shouldn't run a government like you do with an individual household. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. Right. I do believe that you should have balanced budgets and you shouldn't just run giant deficits forever because doing that, going too far in that direction, even if you are currently the world's reserve currency, like that's, you can only go so far before you no longer are the world's reserve currency and inflation has killed lots of uh, economies um, who went down that road. So, you know, but like, obviously you don't run a government the same way you do an individual household because one is a government and the other is an individual household. Right. But it's not just that. It's just like, but like, but like the, the reason the tough love example works is because I'm just trying to make the point that, we really are dealing with the equivalent of, you know, on, on the social level, admittedly, of like a, a spoiled brat taking the generosity of their superiors for granted. There's a lot of problematic language there, <laughs> but uh, well, no, I, I mean, okay, but like, I mean, I, again, do you really blame me for being a little bit angry and resentful toward these assholes? I mean, these are really bad people. Donald Trump is using outright Nazi language. He's talking about about people having good genes, and I mean, it's absolutely horrifying. Yeah, but like, as you said, I mean, Donald honestly, Trump is not his is voter, and, and, for and, what I, they are. and I guess maybe this is the point. Um, you know, where I live, where I came from, rural Indiana, a lot of people I really love are your people you're describing, and they're good people. They taught me the values that have led me to where I'm at now. They have. Um, played false to those values in, in their adulthood and it's very disturbing and I'm, I'm working on the way I can but like you're saying like do I want you know my aunt Lisa and you know my uncle Chris and like my cousins and some of the friends that I've met here in in uh, Ohio because you don't have to drive too far outside of Cincinnati before you get into the Trump country um, a lot of the suburbs are Trump country I just don't see these people as irredeemable I think they have been you know, they're not racist the way Trump is like, um, you know, uh, you, you take a person from a town that's, you know, 100 percent white and there's tons and tons. Like, I don't know if you live in any place that's that's anywhere near that, but it's the norm in a lot of the you know Midwest. Right. It's like to live in these big pockets of like all white people. And you've never met a black person. The only black person or Latino person you've ever 
seen has been on television and movies. And to the extent that they, that, that is, is a righteous portrayal of them. Uh, you know what I mean? Like that, that can be a good or bad uh, impression. Um, and they might have like thoughts about like, Oh, these people, he's taking all this welfare and all oh, these liberals are running the country. But if they actually got to know people, um, that's the antidote to it versus a person who believes in like a legit white nationalist. There's, there's something inferior about a particular race or class of people. They can never, ever be fixed. Like that. Yes. Those people are very deplorable, but I don't know the makeup between the Trump. And I, I know that they can flip between the two really easily. But like how um, much daylight is there really between somebody who believes that and somebody who just thinks in order to get what I want po- politically, I'm willing to vote for someone who believes that. Well, I mean, that's like, I think that anyone that votes for Trump in 2020 is certainly, if you're not a racist yourself, you're, you're comfortable with cozying to a racist to, to get your other policies. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I guess um, that's, maybe that's an area of difference between us is because of our, our different, uh, economic perspectives. Um, even just setting aside like who's right or who's wrong, we're coming at it from different perspectives. I think you genuinely, believe that there's this like moral imperative to help people. Whereas I am much more interested and much more persuaded by the argument of, ah, you got to give the, the peasants some pennies so they don't burn down, you know, your house. Um, yeah. Right. So com- coming from those two, two different perspectives to me, their left-wing economics is just a perfect extension and just another expression of their bigotry. How so? Well, because it's not because in their case, it's not coming from we need to save civilization. We need to, you know, have some charity so that we can preserve civilization and human liberty. It's coming mm-hmm. from I want mine and I want you to give it to me. And oh, yeah. And, that, and that's a, that's a really dang because like, you know, you, you I think we talked about this before, but you look at what Tarkle, Tucker Carlson has been up to lately. And it does seem like he's uh, he is advocating or very open to some kind of national socialism. Uh, some kind of socialism for the right people. And if we only cut out the undesirables and the dead weight, then boy, we would have a society yeah, the, worth, the worth having, right? His fans are the dead weight. That, yeah, yeah. But I like, I, I just, I don't like, I, I, yeah, right. But like, I reject that argument in the opposite way, um, you know, because there's a lot of people. Uh, on my side of the political divide that are kind of dead weight economically, but there's valid reasons for that, right? They've, they're, they live in places that have been economically, uh, neglected. Their schools have been neglected. Like there's, there's lots of things we can do to change to where these things aren't the self-perpetuating cycles they are. And I think there's, like I said, there's things we can do at the federal level that'll make these problems better. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. I I think we have to fight kind of hand to hand, house to house intellectually um, to like win some of these people back. I think we have to do something about uh, Fox news, one American news network and whatever Trump's going to start, whatever the Trump family is going to start when they are eventually ousted from office. Like they're, I don't know what that that's that's to me the biggest problem is that you've got an outfit that just engages in propaganda and lies and that is very popular um and and it leads to people being in these insulated bubbles and right. I yeah no I mean I, I don't know how you I don't know how you saw that with liberalism. You're saying a lot of things that I agree with 
But again, I think it, it just is ultimately it's coming back to this fundamental disagreement, which is who is to blame for that, right? I mean, is anybody strapping these people down in their lazy boys and fo- forcing them to watch Fox News all day? I mean, there's nothing stopping them from reading The Economist instead. <laughs> Dude, they yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. Hey, Fox is free. OAN is increasingly over the fucking airwaves. You have to pay for cable to get another perspective. You have to pay for The Economist. Like, that is part of the problem, you know, like that. There's a wonderful news article came out like two months ago that like essentially lies and bullshit are free. Serious journalism costs money. Yeah, no, that's and a really good point. But it, it's also I a don't, problem though, and that I there think, are people who seem there like I, if it was just a matter of being able to afford it, um, I and, and for some people it is. And I, I think that's a perfectly valid point. And what it's actually a really practical one, too, because it gives us a specific issue that we can actually try to address. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but there also seems to be this, this deeper problem of regardless of how much money you have, and it really doesn't take that much money to get decent information. People just prefer certain sources of information because it's infotainment. It makes them feel good about themselves. Um, because they just, they, they are happier being fed stuff that reinforces their preconceptions. They don't sure. Like just like people, dissidents. People love corn syrup and sugar, and that's why we have an obesity problem. Um, yeah, and that's fine when it's just going into their body. But this is the equivalent of them forcing everybody else to eat it. Because but isn't there because, because their because their their willful ignorance results in negative consequences for everybody. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I I, I, I the, the problem is is like, I guess I'm I come my my family is poor. Uh, like, you know, I didn't know this growing up, but like, you know, I had my, we shopped at Amvets and uh, Goodwill. Um, and I just thought that's where people got clothes. You know, I thought like, oh, maybe you got, you went to Kohl's for Christmas or something like that. And my, I, all of us kids qualified for subsidized lunches, but my dad is too proud to enroll us in that. Like, and I think like, boy, if I grew up 30 years from now and Rio and everybody's saying, fuck rural Indiana, Am I able to overcome that? Or are my schools even like worse? Like uh, I, I look back at like so many coin uh, you know, balls that could have bounced the wrong direction and I'd be, uh, you know, on meth in a trailer, you know, and I just uh, I didn't deserve that. No fucking way. I'd rather get, I'd, you know, and I, if we're going down two roads, one is like, fuck them. It's probably going to blow up on our face in 30 years versus, you know what, let's try to help. And maybe it'll stabilize things in 30 years. I guess I'm going to pull, it's the trolley cart problem. I'm going to pull the one that only kills one versus the one that's certainly going to kill five. And I feel like abandoning large swaths of the South and the Midwest to, to their own devices is that five you know killing five people trolley problem that's true Uh, but then there's also the example of you know how how many delirious people do you let um you know try to get onto your boat until it capsizes and you everybody drowns yeah we can build bigger boats more boats (laughs) on less sinkable boats yeah no i i okay it's an engineer i'm saying it's an you're saying it's a people problem i'm saying it's an engineering problem (laughs) i agree i think that it's both right but the problem is that it it has to come from both sides right so Mm -hmm. so um there is a book that came out by uh daniel uh markovitz uh recently who uh, it's called the meritocracy trap um and Mm -hmm. i think you can tell by the title this is not somebody who is a right winger. This is not, you know, like some free market, pull yourself up by the bootstraps person. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
he is arguing that part of the reason that the left is failing, though, at solving the problem is because they're 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 getting the problem wrong. Um, so, for example, one one thing that he points out is that if you compare like the 1960s to now, um, we actually do have a more meritocratic society than we did back then. Hmm. The, the, the wealthiest. Uh, yeah, no. I, so I would recommend that you read the book because I don't want you to just take <laughs> my, word, my word for it on all of this. But he backs it up with massive evidence. And I think the fact that it's coming from a lefty means that he's not just cherry picking stuff. So I would really recommend you check it out. But the long and short of it is that if you a really sober analysis of the situation is that we, we have less poverty now, but, and so, but for the, the main difference though, is that the, the, um, there's a much wider gap between the middle class and the rich than there was then. And there's an even bigger gap between the rich and the super rich. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think part of it is, people see all of this wealth and that makes them feel poorer. But in just practical numbers, um, we, we have actually made, I'll go back to it. We've actually, we should pat ourselves on the back a little bit. We actually have made a lot of progress in reducing poverty over the decades. And I'm not saying we can't slide backwards. And I'm not saying that some policies that uh, have happened uh, due to the third way and so forth um, are, are heading that direction. But just like, you know, to, to put it in perspective, the problem seems to be the growing gap between the middle class and the rich and that it's it's getting increasingly harder for people to in the middle class to um, to achieve the kind of aspirational lifestyle. Um, and at the same time, the, if you look at like television programs and what, you're, what people are reading in popular culture now, um, it used to be, you know, leave it to beaver. And, and, and now it's just you know, everybody's idolizing a lifestyle that the average middle class person could never dream of affording. So I think sure. part of it is a, is a problem of perception where people are less poor, but they feel more poor. Yeah, but on the other hand, we do have a ton of billionaires and uh, the ultra wealthy are achieving that escape velocity. And I do think that's a problem. Yeah, um, no, I, I actually agree that's a problem. So maybe we can and, agree and, about this. And we, we've been going for over an hour now, so I think we have to start wrapping up. But uh -huh. I, I think actually this felt productive to me. I feel like I've understood you a little better. You've understood me a little better. But maybe something we can agree about is that when the middle class and the and the working class and the poor are at war with each other, then the super duper duper rich assholes who are already paying oh, yeah. a more effective tax rate than the middle class, those people are going to win, right? And I, so, I, I, part part of the reason that I don't like the the rhetoric of socialism and so forth is because it does tend to pit the working class against the middle class. And keep in mind, a lot of like people who are a lot of people that maybe a poor person might call rich isn't really all that rich. That they actually no. have a lot more in common, and they're a lot, hell of a lot I, closer to the poor person than they are to Jeff Bezos. I talk about this in three right turns all the time. It annoys the shit out of me that you got doctors and lawyers trying to act like they're the same as Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and Warren Buffett. And you got, you know, starving leftist college kids thinking that those doctors and lawyers are Bezos and stuff. It's it's no like if you you are not wealthy unless you don't have to work for a living. Like doctors and lawyers just have an insane earnings, you know, capability and they're pissed as, as hell because all the taxes they have to pay, et cetera, et cetera. Because it, yeah, like it, you get, you can't get rich earning an income in this country. Like, you know, you, you, you can, but it's a hell. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. If we had a, if we had a broad prosperous middle class and we had a, a, a lower class that had strong safety nets to where no one was dying on the streets, no one was on the streets in the first place. 
you and uh, and then we changed our culture a little bit to get away from this Robin Leach lifestyles of the rich and famous stuff. I think we'd have a much better uh, uh, society. But I also think we need to suction a whole lot of wealth from the extremely 0.01 percent wealthy that are dodging taxes and and taking the money out of the country and not paying their fair share. I think that's like we have to we have to somehow redistribute some of that wealth where it's going to be better for society. And you know what? The super ultra rich, wealthy people will they think they want to live in a world where they're behind gated communities and on private islands and stuff. But it's 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 not the way to live like the, the I think to, to live in a country where you don't have to worry about your neighbor going broke and dying without health care and getting thrown out of their home. That's that's the country that I want to live in, not a country where some people get to eat literally gold plated pizza for five thousand dollars and a veteran dies under a bridge because they, you know, got kicked out of their house or what. You know, I just I just yeah. So yeah, we got I think we have broad agreement and I think honestly you and me and 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 people like you Rio will probably march in lockstep for the next 20 or 30 years. It's going to be once we get those problems solved, then like we have to decide whether we want to keep going or whether we want to stay or we want to go more. You know, that's that's I, I think that the battles you and I would have are almost a generation away. And I don't even know if I want to fight it when we get there because if it's as good as you say, why would I? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's 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 kind of the point, though, is that if it's true that um, there's less poverty than in 1960 and um, but that the gap between the middle class and the rich and the super rich has gotten bigger, um, then, the, you know, the, pro- the the question becomes, um, you know, how much of this is is an emotional cultural problem and how much of it is an actual economic problem? Because if it's more of the former then the solution to it can't be just giving people a UBI, which I support, right? It can't just be redistributing more money. There has to be something else to it too. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I do feel like there's people, it's a socio-economic problem, not just an economic problem. And there are people- I agree. There are people who feel like they've lost uh, social capital. Um, they, they feel like nobody looks up to them anymore and everybody looks down on them. And even though a snob like myself might think they fully deserve that reputation, that doesn't stop them from being radicalized by it, even if even if they're not poor. Yeah, it's a, it's I mean, a different I, set of problems that require different solutions, I think. And and vilifying the wealthy might be part of it, but I I I I think that we need to we need to uh, make a I think we need to make a lot from the point that the upper middle class and the poor are a hell of a lot closer together than the super rich. Yes. As long as you lump lump the upper middle class in with the super rich, uh, you're going to have a really uphill battle politically because you're going to, you need those people's support because they're the ones who have discretionary income to support your, your policies. If nothing else, also they more reliably vote. They tend to be better educated and therefore they're also more informed and more reasonable. And I think the real, the big divide in politics right now, and I think you'd agree with this, Aaron, seems to be between reasonable people and unreasonable people. And I agree with you. Like, even though I might be a little more to the right than you, uh, we're both reasonable. So I consider you on my side. I, I think it's important for reasonable people to work together right now. We can't afford not to. 
I think all laborers should, I mean, one of the things that the wealthy, the upper class do is they never, ever, ever break class solidarity and they know exactly where those lines are. And I think all the laborers in this country need to see the common cause. Like the plumber needs to see the commonality with the doctor. The lawyer needs to see the commonality of the person that's providing childcare and they need to stick together or else the upper class will continue to rob us blind and, and take advantage of us and exploit us. Um, and I'm all for that, but I also think that's part of, you know, um, it's not just, it's not just poor people being jealous. It's also these, these, uh, the bourgeoisie, uh, getting jumped up ideas of, of where they are at in society too. And, you know, thinking that they are the masters of the universe when really they're just, they're just, they're being exploited. Their, their labor is being exploited just like anybody else's. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I actually don't, I don't share your labor focus on that. I I think that it has more to do with income than labor. Yeah. Um, See, you're, but you're, but but I feel like you're kind of engaging in the problematic behavior, trying to split these divisions. You either work for your living or you don't. And so that you're either a capitalist or you're not. And that's where the that's the class divide. You know, you know what's weird though is that mm-hmm. again, going going back to the going back to the um, meritocracy trap, which you're definitely going to want to read, so that you're not just taking my my word for it. And again, coming from someone who's like his his argument is that meritocracy is is kind of is 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 harming everybody, including the the top one percent, because they get stuck in this war against them, themselves, and it, it's just he thinks he sees it as very toxic. I don't necessarily agree with that, but he's yeah, he's, I know. he's never he's never looking nevertheless looking at this this data and so like in 1910 apparently um one the top one percent got a sixth of their income from labor whereas after 2000 depending on how you measure it they got either half or three-fourths of their income from labor and so i think what's happening is that we now have this hyper competent meritocratic elite that feels like they've earned it and they deserve it, and that just makes them resent the redistribution that much more. Like you, the sure. the 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 idea of the noblesse oblige was was a concept that the actual upper class in feudalism had, whereas this new meritocratic elite might actually be far less generous, and that could be a problem. Yeah, no, and I bet you know, like, there's also just tons and tons. Like, it's, it seems like uh, we always get into the really sticky stuff at the end. But like, um, what a lot of I've seen as far as like when you talk about terms of absolute poverty, is that um, the way economists measure poverty is messed up. Um, like, you know, they don't really account for inflation across a bit. Like, for example, they'll consider that like, okay, cars now cost forty thousand um, dollars. But these cars are so much better, you know, they, they last twice as long. They have much more safety features they are safer. So like even they, they don't credit that as like, OK, well, used to a family used to be able to buy their sedan for five thousand dollars. Now it's thirty five thousand dollars. But you're still like that, that that's considered equivalent because it's a much better car. Um, but in absolute purchasing power, the average middle class and lower class families have have, have lost out. Um, so I, I, it'd be interesting to get in the weeds about that. And note that we still haven't actually talked about property rights from a first principles perspective. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if that might be because we don't actually disagree, though. Because you know, no, you I, said no, that I, you support you, you support you support them for the time being. You're just a little bit more open to the possibility they may not necessarily be necessary forever. 
Yeah, it's essentially like because like I run into a lot of uh, I run into a lot of arguments where you know you can't redistribute things and you can't like you know doing this or that is problematic because that violates people's individual ownership and you know like I I kind of like want to get to somebody and be like does it really you know like why is that like I understand free speech and there's a lot of like the there's a lot of liberal values enlightenment values that i think are unequivocally good i don't understand why property rights um is is bound up in that and i'm sure well, there's a good I, I answer i definitely think that property rights are bound up in it but i agree with you that they shouldn't you know trump all other rights um, okay well then maybe yeah, we don't have an argument yeah, i don't, maybe think we don't we do disagree argument. that much because you're probably used to arguing with people who would say things like taxation is theft i'm more likely to say taxation is a necessary evil which i think is notably less dogmatic and more open-minded. So I, I, yeah. I think that we, we may be coming from slightly different first principles, but fortunately sure. we're not forced to choose between total collectivism where we erase the individual entirely mm -hmm. um, and total individualism where we completely give up on the collective. I, I think that we, we, we did a really good job nuancing and providing some sober context for the fact that we aren't currently living in either of those extremes. And I think we both agree that both extremes would be bad. Um, so I'm glad that we can work together to find common ground uh, and, and, and hopefully we can turn the ship around before we wind up in yeah. one or the other. I just, just don't want to abandon the rural folk. They're my people and there's some good people there and they've been misled and miseducated, but they are hardworking uh, sturdy, uh, level-headed people that can be reasoned with if you can undo all that stuff. That's the hope anyway. Well, yeah. And we're also generalizing greatly. I mean, there are, there are brilliant and great people everywhere in the country. We're just talking about broad, broadly speaking, you know, where money is being spent and where it's coming from. I didn't mean to, you know, say that all people who live in certain parts of the country are a certain way. That's obvious. No, but, but if we abandon them, that's essentially, we're treating them that that's what I guess, I guess that maybe that's a nuance that we didn't, that, that, that got lost. But like, if you're talking about cutting off entire sections of the country, that's your, you're losing that, you're losing that brilliance. Uh, you're, well, you're throwing uh, away the, I mean, the, the like gold, the draws. I mean, like I, I think the brilliant ones would probably be fine, but yeah, no, I mean, to be clear, I'm not, I'm not actually advocating that. I'm just saying okay. that I, it, you know, it's how I feel sometimes when I'm getting really worked up and sometimes I wonder, you know, like if not that, what could we do? Because, because I do, I, I think there are limits to how, how much you can de-radicalize people with generosity. And I think that sometimes the leftover, uh, I get, they tend to give uh, regular people too much credit and too much benefit of the doubt. And sometimes they just don't acknowledge that some people are just bad people. But I agree with you that, you know, it's not, it's not like whole groups of the country are made up of nothing but bad people. All right, Aaron, I got to go. And I'm sure you got to go too, but uh, yep. thanks for coming on. And as we say, moving forward is our gumbo. <laughs> Hi, I'm Aaron from the Three Right Turns podcast, and I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Moving Forward. I consistently preach that these kinds of difficult but ultimately productive conversations are the ones we need to be having now more than ever. If you think discussions like this have value, I encourage you to visit movingforwardpod.com where you can find links to the show's Patreon. Support from listeners like you funds ways to advertise and grow Moving Forward's audience so more people can hear these crucial conversations.